You're listening to Yeg Hustle, a podcast about mindful entrepreneurship. These are your hosts, Jay Downton and April Prescott. Hey there, hustlers. Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, it's just April here. There's no Jay this time, just because we both wanted to have an opportunity to explain to you our origin story and how we ended up where we are today and who we are today. And Jay had an opportunity to record his origin story on another local Edmonton podcast on the Love Yeg podcast uh, with Sherry Beauchamp and Jesse McCracken. And so you can find that podcast on um, any podcasting channel. Just search the Love Yeg show. And he, across two episodes with them, explains his origin story. And he goes into a lot of depth around um, growing up in Edmonton and how that uh, transpired to um, into his uh, subsequent businesses and his passion for creating and improving community in Edmonton. So you can find that link there and I will uh, place links in all of our places so that you can find that and give that a listen. So now it's my turn. I wanted to um, share my origin story with you. And interestingly enough, while I'm recording this, I'm actually taking a break from doing some, uh, just some studying for myself. And one of the people that I follow is Simon Sinek. And one of the main things that he talks about is finding your why and knowing your why. And so Jay and I have really adopted that, especially with the hustle. And that's one of the things that we really work on with people, uh, both individually and in, in their businesses, is why do you do what you do? And if you look into Simon Sinek's work, he's got, he's got lots of resources on this. And he talks about finding your why and that... Um, everything that you do in life, especially in business, um, needs to be built on the foundation of your why. And when people ask, well, how do I find my why? Um, there's lots of ways that we can uh, go through that process, but essentially it's your origin story. So that's why Jay and I will always and continue to reference our origins and uh, that then helps us show up authentically in this space for you as our listeners and community and clients of the Yeg Hustle. So, um, so anyway, I was listening to this talk with uh, Simon, and it and it just prompted me to um, pause that video and come on and record this. Uh, so, my origin story: I was born at the Edmonton General Hospital, and my parents were uh, born and raised Edmontonians. They lived all over kind of central. My dad grew up a little bit northeast side. Um, he was a ruffian <laughs> and, uh, and kind of exemplified a little bit of where he grew up. Um, when I was born, we, my family owned a farm out by Nusarepta, which is just a little southeast of the city. And my dad worked in the oil field and my mom stayed at home. And there's three of us girls and we had a farm. and. Uh, unfortunately, um, during the late 70s and early 80s, when the oil field um, took a dip, as it is in right now as well, um, so just a reminder, people, history repeats, um, that we pretty much lost everything. My dad had his own company and, and uh, was no longer able to keep that viable. 
so we ended up moving into the city. We moved into uh, essentially low-income housing by Southgate while my dad was looking for work and, um, and my mom continued to stay home with us. We eventually moved to St. Albert. Uh, my parents just happened to luck out and found a house that was kind of within in their range of, of being able to afford to buy. And my dad at the time had reinvented himself um, and had started a new business. And so we moved into St. Albert and... Uh, this location was great. It was walking distance to schools and to stores and to the library. And um, so we didn't really have to worry too much about getting around. And my mom continued to stay home with us and and raise us while my dad was away. And my dad was away a lot. He worked away a lot. So um, it wasn't really until we moved into St. Albert where uh, my dad was around a little bit more. Um, during growing up in St. Albert, um, we continued to keep our rural roots. So that was one of the values that my mom and dad held dear is that although they physically were not able to, to maintain, um, a rural property that they wanted to instill in us some of the things that you learn from growing up and living on a farm. So we always maintained our connection with horses and even if it meant going without something else, whether that's new clothes or things like that, um, my mom and dad always were able to maintain our connection with horses. And so while other kiddos, you know, Saturday morning would maybe sleep in and then get up and eat cereal in front of the TV and watch cartoons and then maybe go play with their friends, we were out at the farm and we, uh, my mom... It, it, it was literally weekly. It didn't matter if it was minus 30 or, you know, as long, as long as the roads were good, we were off and we were out riding. So I grew up on the back of a horse and um, many of my first friendships were created through the um, horse and farm community. And so there's a lot that you can learn on the back of a horse and um, around, you know, growing up around something that can be extremely gentle and then also extremely dangerous. And so it breeds a healthy respect for others um, in your world. And especially too, there's a lot of respect built in um, towards your elders and essentially knowledge keepers within the horse industry. And, um, you know, I've worked, I've had the privilege to work with a lot of good uh, horse trainers and clinicians and then also ranchers um, during my time growing up and I still have uh, contact with some of those people today which I'm which I really value um, so during that time you know going to school in in St. Albert and my mom stayed at home with us until my younger sister was full-time kindergarten and even at that she started just volunteering at the class in the classroom and when I asked my mom about that I was like you know we were pretty hard up for money for a long time there and you know, why didn't you choose to go to work and put us in childcare? And she's just like, it was one of the things that your dad and I discussed before we had children that uh, we were going to do our best to stay home and and raise you. Um, so I really appreciate that we maybe one may have been one of the last generations that really got to have a stay-at-home parent for an extended period of time. Um, so I'm, I'm very uh, grateful and aware of that and how special that is. 
during school, I was a very good student, and school and learning came easy to me. It continues to to this to this day. I think a lot of that is just down to um, being at home with my mom, and she really put a focus on learning and um, developing those skill sets around learning. I think a large piece of it is genetic too. I think uh, just the way my brain's wired, uh, learning is easy for me. And then also being able to regurgitate in- information in a way that teachers like is also easy for me. So, uh, but yeah, we put a large focus on learning and reading in in our whole household. I can still remember, you know, getting up every morning. My mom would get us up early enough before school. Um, like hours before school so that we would all have an opportunity to sit around the table every morning before dad went to work, before mom started her day, before we left for school. Uh, and we would sit and read the paper together. You know, we would shuffle things around. We would fight over the comic section in the Edmonton Journal. Um, we would eat breakfast together before we all started our day. Um, and I think that that was a really special way to, you know, I was raised in a household that put that first. And then we also always ate dinner together at the table in the evening, unless, you know, work took us away or something, but really it was a priority for us. And, uh, uh, that's something that I really treasure to this day as being able to gather with people around a table that you love. And, and, you know, there's no phones, there's no TV. It's just you and your conversation and your thoughts. And, uh, but I, anyway, I distinctly remember there always being a newspaper there. My parents, to this day, even though newspapers are dying, you know, they collect all these newspapers throughout the week and they ration themselves as to when they can read them uh, so that they have something uh, to read every day um, when it comes to the news. Um, I graduated from Paul Kane High School in St. Albert in 1997, and at that time, the political climate was very similar to what it is now. That was the Ralph Klein dynasty, if you want to call it that, and I always knew I was going to be a teacher, but when I graduated, it was not the right time to go into education because there had just been massive cuts, and in talking to my dad, who always kind of had a finger on the economy, he was just like, you know what, why don't you go... You know, he didn't make the decision for me by any means, but he suggested, you know, why don't you just go in and grow up a little bit and go do some work? Um, I was very blessed growing up, too, that even though we didn't have a lot, my parents put a large focus on us having a childhood and then also um, being able to enjoy going to school without worrying about work. I see a lot of kiddos these days where it's like they're 14, 15, 16, and they get a job and, and go for it. I mean, maybe they, you know wanted to buy a vehicle or something and really had a focus on that um and our focus was just being able to be kids so I started playing rugby at a young age and that took up a lot of my time in the summer we continued to ride and compete on horses so that took up a lot of time and so again we went without in some of the some different areas in our lives in order to uh, be able to just be children for a lot longer um so uh when I graduated I was also into school a year younger than most of my uh, friends and so I graduated just barely 17 Um, so I also don't think that I was mature enough to go to university at that age so I went to work and I had a bunch of odd jobs and when I talk to other people about what jobs they've had in their whole entire life I realized that I haven't had that many I guess I part of it was that I always knew that I was going to be a teacher and it was just kind of a stopgap until that happened Um, So, you know, I worked retail and I worked in a gas station. I worked in a kitchen. Um, A lot of the basic kind of 
teenager, early 20s uh, jobs that you take on. Uh, one of the most impactful jobs that I took was I went and worked on a feedlot um, just west of the city and it was literally in the middle of nowhere and I took a job to help take care of two little children and then also help on the ranch. Um, this, this feedlot was massive. We had, you know, thousands of head of cattle to take care of and sections and sections of land. It was very isolated, often didn't have power, often didn't, you know, the pump wouldn't work so you wouldn't have water. Uh, no cell phones at the time, so if the power was out, your phone didn't work. Um, you know, the satellite dish would go out. So a lot of it was, you know, learning how to be alone and in isolation and um, learning how to take care of myself when I'm in that situation. And then also, again, right back to the values and, and um, skill sets that you learn in a ranching environment, you know, having to process hundreds of, of cattle a day and anybody who's listening who has a farming background will know what that's like whether it's branding or otherwise and um, you know sitting literally in a saddle for eight hours a day with no breaks um, someone brings you a sandwich if you're lucky in order to watch a gate <laughs> in the middle of a rainstorm you know like that was some of, of what I experienced there and I really um, you know I appreciate those jobs that kind of toughen you up a little bit and I also find that those jobs help you appreciate when you do land in something that you really want to be doing. Um, in the meantime, my dad had reinvented himself multiple times. And I really draw on that experience when I'm working with clients because um, I always think about, you know, if my dad can do it, anyone can pretty much do it. Just knowing, um, you know, his background and experience. And, you know, he he's an electrician by trade but he's also a heavy duty mechanic and and he took a lot of those um, skill sets and continued to develop himself if my dad was ever unemployed you know he was at the EI office the next day but then also was you know taking a course or applying for every single job available even if he wasn't qualified for it because he knew that he would just figure out the qualifications and make it happen so it was really uh, awesome having that kind of a role model um, to serve from where you know on the one hand I had my mom who uh, you know her sorry about that banging <laughs> um, her whole role in life has been a caregiver and it, you know it started out with obviously taking care of us but then it it turned into um, eventually when my mom did go to work. She was a teaching assistant in the school board for many, many years, uh, working with special needs children. And then uh, she moved on from there to work in group homes for adults um, with needs. And she just recently um, retired from that at the age of 66. Um, and so between having that model from my mom of of this life is about taking care of others and in return you get taken care of and you also feel a sense of worthiness satisfaction and accomplishment from doing that um, and then on the other hand having my dad who was constantly you know showing me that no matter how down you get you can always reinvent yourself and come through the other side stronger 
having learned something and more resilient. Um, my dad is truly uh, the poster poster person for resiliency. Um, so growing up in, in that kind of a, of a household uh, pretty much sets you up for success. And I truly believe that you know, between myself and, and my two sisters that we've, anything that we've tried, we've been successful at just because we, um, you know, we, we come from those models. And I distinctly remember one time my dad was talking to us about career stuff and my parents never pressured us for anything. We were, you know, three girls, never pressured to get married, never pressured to be in a relationship, never pressured to get a certain job, never pressured to go to university. Um, everything was left up to us. And, and my dad explained it as, say, for example, you were looking for a job and the only job that you got was to say pump gas at, at Domo. And he's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. He's like, where it turns wrong is if you don't focus on that job in that moment and being the best. So he's like, if you have to be the best jump to the pump person, then that's your job in that moment. And it doesn't mean that you stop looking for something else, but in that moment, you need to be the best at whatever you're doing. Um, and so that really gave us license to do whatever we wanted for our careers, um, as long as we were the best at it. And so that gave us that level of expectation. That bar was always a little bit higher. Um, and if you were to talk to the three of us, um, we always excelled and continue to excel in what we do. And a lot of it just comes from where to place our effort and knowing that we could always change lanes um, if we need to or if we want to. Um, again, just having that model to follow. So um, I eventually uh, went to uh, the University of Alberta and uh, graduated from the Faculty of Education. And I... Um, Directly after that, I ended up having my first knee surgery. Um, I took an injury in rugby. And uh, so I actually had some time after graduating to just kind of figure out what kind of teacher I wanted to be and where I wanted to teach. And during that time, I took the opportunity to volunteer in the elementary school where I grew up. And uh, that really opened my eyes to what I liked about working in education, what I didn't. Prior to that, I, I also worked as a teaching assistant for five years, followed in my mom's footsteps. And so I had a really good idea of um, how I wanted to show up and who I wanted to show up as in a classroom. Uh, I My first job as a teacher was in a local program here in Edmonton um, that provides services for children who are affected by hearing loss. So either they themselves have, have any level of hearing loss or somebody in their family. And this was like... Uh, eyes wide open. Anybody who's a teacher or knows someone who works in education will always tell you that like your degree doesn't teach you how to teach. Teaching teaches you how to teach. And I think that that's pretty much true for any, any vocation, but especially for teaching. And so I got dumped right into the deep end. You know, my first year of teaching, uh, most of my children could hear to some extent, but all of their parents were deaf and my teaching assistant was deaf and I knew very little sign language going in. So, you know, my main goal for the first year of education was like, and this was preschool, so learn more about child development because they don't teach you that in education and learn sign language so that I can communicate effectively with my team and my families. Um, and so that really guided a lot of what I did through my career. I was in that program for 10 years, um, really thank them for 
um, everything that they did provide me with, including a lot of professional development. So it was, it was in that program where I really started to um, dial in as to who I wanted to be as a professional, not just a teacher, but also now thinking again, kind of like my dad of like, how can I use these skills elsewhere? And knowing that I wasn't going to be in that program for forever. And, um, so the first area that I started studying in is trauma-informed practice. And I went to a lecture here in the city held by Dr. Bruce Perry, and he has created a model of looking at how uh, trauma affects uh, development and then how we can use that knowledge in um, helping children. And I thought, you know, I work in a highly traumatized population at my work, and this is just something that I think would be very practical. Well, I fell in love with it, and I ended up um, completing my training with them, where I'm now a trainer for the neurosequential model in education um, through the Child Trauma Academy. And um, it was also during that time that it really opened my eyes to being like, wow, I've got a lot of kids who, who whose families, and therefore these children are struggling um, and this is just around basic needs, right? And uh, it, I ended up teaching a, a class where I had uh, a, a classroom of, full of children who had really specialized needs. And it got to me. Uh, people talk about burnout in teaching a lot, and it, um, I experienced it at least twice. And uh, it was heartbreaking to me because I'm like, here I am. I always knew that this was going to be my career, and yet it's breaking my heart to come to work every day and do what I'm meant to be doing and do what I'm supposed to be doing. So, um, it was at that time that, um, you know, yes, teachers get the summer off, but you talk to any teachers and they typically take a, a little bit of a break and then they work on professional development. They're working on their plans for next year. And so I was on the computer looking for opportunities to do some extra learning. And I came across the summer Institute for educators at the greater good science center at UC Berkeley. And I was like, this looks amazing. And I got the opportunity to go. So I traveled down to California. Uh, my first time going to California, it was lovely. And I was there for six days learning about the science of well-being. And specifically, how do we as teachers foster an environment of well-being in our schools and classrooms? And it was at that, um, at that work uh, conference that I met... Chris and Megan, and at the time, um, they were the leaders at Mindful Schools out of California. And that was actually my first um, true formal experience with mindfulness and meditation. Um, prior to that, I had had some experience um, learning meditation and grounding practices specifically through my sports psychologist. Uh, I, I played varsity rugby at, at the U of A. Um, but outside of that and outside of a little bit of yoga, I didn't really experience true formal meditation and mindfulness. And so I came home from California feeling reinvigorated, knowing that there was maybe a solution to my burnout and that I could keep doing what I love doing um, by use, utilizing this tool. So I then signed up um, to study with Mindful Schools and I completed their um, year-long uh, Mindful Teacher program, which included silent retreats. So that next uh, summer, I went on my first ever week-long silent retreat travel back to California for that. And I can still remember the first day, you know, we're in the hills in Petaluma and, you know, we, everybody gets there, they go through orientation and there's a lot of people there who have experienced stuff like this before. And I, I was 
a small minority who who hadn't and our teachers including Chris and Megan are like okay we're going to enter into silence and we're going to have a walking period before dinner and you now have to keep silence until we tell you to come out of silence this is for days and I was like oh okay well that sounds interesting and there was about a hundred of us there and we all walk out and they taught us how to do walking meditation and everybody goes out into the hills and, and, uh, is performing their walking meditation. And I'm like, everybody here looks like zombies. And I instantly thought like, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? And I, and I, I literally physically stopped and looked around and, and just felt instantly overwhelmed of like, what choice have I made here? And I, I, at that moment, I had to really make a, a decision for myself of just like, is this something that I want to continue to pursue? And there was just this, this innate pull in me that said yes. And, and it just literally said, drink the Kool-Aid, April, you need this, drink the Kool-Aid. And so I did. Um, and after those six days, uh, it was transformative. Um, I left there, completed the, the year of training, went to another silent retreat afterwards, um, and came out of that also loving the combination that it offers in that here's my trauma-informed training and I now have this this deep, deep foundation in neuroscience and neurobiology and and how stress shows up in the body. And now I have this tool called mindfulness that can actually help with that both treat it and mitigate it. And, um, and, and yes, the research is still coming on that. I'm not saying that it's a cure-all, but it can help and it does help. So I just felt so invigorated by that. And so then I went back to my work and it was very interesting because when I returned, I had changed and the work hadn't. Um, the people around me noticed that I had changed and that made them uncomfortable and I could feel this subtle shift and the shift was towards um, this is no longer for you, it's time to move on. And there was a specific moment, um, an interaction that caused me to really solidify that where it came, where it went from a maybe I need to find a new job to this is for sure. Um, so that's that's how I came across mindfulness and meditation. Um, after that, I took a job in London, England, and uh, and I was going to a school that um, provided special needs services for children, but also they wanted to start uh, teaching them mindfulness. So I said, well, well, this is great. This is directly in my wheelhouse. And we talk about everything lining up, right? Every single thing lined up, and I went and. Uh, you know, other than one minor hiccup with getting my visa, I was good to go. And um, it was the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my whole entire life. It made me realize how close, closely tied I am to my family. And it made me um, start to compare myself to people that I know who have left their family and to go to move away, whether it be for school or career or family of their own. And uh, I was like, you know what, you can't compare yourself to others. I am, I love that I'm that close to my family. And, um, so that was just a really important learning opportunity for me about my connections, but went to London and got myself settled and then worked in this school for four days. And while I was there, I started to ask questions about 
specifically how the school operated and, and, and I had some concerns, but I wanted to see how I could fit in and maybe I could be of influence to make some changes that I saw were needed. And, um, the headmaster of the school didn't appreciate that. And I ended up getting fired. This is the first and only time that I've ever been fired in my life. I had moved, you know, halfway around the world, um, liquidated everything to get there. And here I am being fired from what I thought was going to be my next kind of dream job, which, you know, reg- uh, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't really need to be said more than that, but, um, it was devastating. So I spent the next short while in London deciding if this is what I wanted and I explored some other options and, and, uh, it eventually led to me having essentially a panic attack and a bit of a mental breakdown. And, um, I found myself sobbing on the kitchen floor and, uh, I looked at the clock and it was like 1:30 AM here. And I'm like, I just need a touch point. I need help. And so I reached out to my older sister and I called her and she answered on like the first ring. And she's like, what's wrong? Um, and so I explained to her, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she's like, April, you have two choices. You can stay there and tough it out or you can come home and neither choice is wrong, but you have to make the choice. Goodbye. And then she hung up the phone. And so that was really the kick in the ass that I needed, um, to be able to make the choice. And so I spoke to the people that I had made connections with there. And I said, you know what, I think I need to go home. And everybody was supportive. And there was not a, there was not one ounce of me that felt ashamed for making that choice, for making that decision and making that move. And, um, so I left and I, I mean, made great connections there. I'm still, you know, really close with the people I was living with there and, and they're now family. And I came home and right before I left, I applied for a job and I got, came here and I got it. And that's still the job that I hold today, which is, um, the special needs coordinator at Aboriginal Head Start here in Edmonton. And during this time, I still took the opportunity to be like, um, I still always had this root in trauma-informed practice and mindfulness and, and always just kept feeling that there was something more to be done there. Uh, in 2017, I won a contest to travel to New York to um, pitch to Gary Vaynerchuk. He had this contest called uh, 30 Pitches to Gary V. Uh, and if you search that, it'll come up in YouTube. And uh, I won this, this opportunity to go. So I said, you know what? Again, things aligned. Um, there was a silent retreat in New York and 10 days after the date that Gary was, was hosting people. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. And so I went, my sister came along with me, uh, for the holiday. And in July, 2017, I got the opportunity to go to VaynerMedia and experience all of that. And I pitched to Gary about, um, something that I'm still passionate about and I'm still, uh, seeking the opportunity to be able to do this, um, where I think mindfulness and sports, there's a lot of, um, need there. And, um, and, uh, Gary and his, his brother run a sports agency. So I pitched him about that. And after that, um, Claude Silver, who's his chief heart officer came over to talk to all of us. And I approached her and I just like got up the gumption and I said, Hey Claude, uh, you know, although it was great to meet Gary, I actually was more excited about the opportunity to meet you. Would you have time? I'm here for the next 10 days. Would you have time to have coffee or have a phone call with me? I just want to pick your brain about you know, what you do. And, and she was like, yeah, that'd be great. So a couple days later, I got to go back to VaynerMedia and meet with Claude for an hour. 
And um, she talks a lot about leading a company from the heart, um, from empathy, and from a, a culture of trust. And so she shared with me her philosophies and her theories, and then also their working model of how they run such a large company. And you, you go in there and it has a different vibe. Um, it's an amazing place to, to witness. And, um, and so from that, from there, I explained to her, you know, my role at Head Start, And also, you know, I felt like there was something greater waiting for me when it comes to teaching others about mindfulness. And I wasn't sure what that was. And she's like, have you thought about becoming a coach? And I said, well, I don't know. And I didn't really like the term life coach. It seemed kind of frilly. And, um, and she's just like, well, don't get hung up on the term, but you know, essentially what you do is educate people. And now this would just be educating people specifically in mindfulness and coaching is just a term we use in the industry. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. And so I bit the bullet and I came home and that's when I started my, my business and started just putting out into the universe that I want, that I'm here to help coach people about mindfulness and meditation. And, um, it was a little while after that, that I ended up running into Jay, um, through mutual friends we met at Mercer we were all out having a good time that night and um, mutual friends were like oh this is who you need to meet she's the one that met Gary V." and um, so I said hi and we followed each other on Instagram and then that was it and um, so I continued on in my work with Head Start and working with people here and there about mindfulness you know talking at conferences workshops things like that but nothing really serious and then out of the blue, I get a message from Jay just saying, you know, I need your help. And, uh, I didn't know this at the time, but he had been following me for about six months. Um, just watching my, you know, my content, what I'm putting out, making sure that I'm walking the talk. And that was a little over two years ago that we started working together. And it was really by working with him that really validated for me that this is the work that I'm meant to be doing. And, and this is where I need to be putting my effort is being able to, help other people reframe their relationship with suffering through mindfulness and meditation. So, um, that brings us to today where, you know, very recently I had approached Jay to, um, start a new relationship with me around being a partner in the Yeg hustle, because I think that he has a lot to offer around teaching others about, um, running businesses mindfully and, and how he can be in service to others, and uh, he said yes, thankfully. And uh, so that's how we started Yeg Hustle and it will continue to evolve. And we're really focused on bringing to the community what the community needs um, from a place of staying connected to our values and our why. Um, so that brings me full circle back to the beginning, listening to Simon Sinek talk about your why and your why is your origin story. So why do I do what I do? Um, I think I've always been set up for success by my parents um, and even thinking back even further, you know, I, I watched my Baba take care of my grandpa for years. Um, he ended up having tuberculosis of the spine. And when he moved here from England, um, he had rods placed in his spine and, and slowly his body deteriorated where he was in a wheelchair. And for a large portion of my childhood, I observed my Baba, um, giving of herself selflessly in order to, uh, maintain and try to improve my grandfather's quality of life and you can see that pattern then where my mom followed in her mom's footsteps where she was always a caregiver 
and then I became a caregiver in the sense like I think teaching and teaching well is taking care of others um, holistically mind body and soul and that's what mindfulness is and so I'm still a teacher I'm still an educator I just do it in different ways so even my work at Head Start currently is uh, is you know I help adults help teach kids and then my work as a coach and consultant is I help others learn how to help themselves through be becoming more self-aware and can they reframe and reevaluate their relationship to the world around them and to the world inside them. Uh, developing self-awareness, I think, is key to success in anything. And it's that education is sadly missing in our lives. And so it's just my role to walk through life alongside others and give them that support. So, uh, so yeah, that brings us to the current day. Uh, as I'm recording this today, Jay and I just um, had another amazing session with a local uh, business owner. Um, and I just, I absolutely love seeing other people light up when we're able to help them define what it is they're doing and why and next steps so that they can continue to grow their business and thrive. Um, so that's really what we're here as the Egg Hustle to do. And, and we truly come to this from a place of compassion and empathy and kindness and just wanting people to be at their best and, uh, Jay and I both believe that mindfulness is just one way to do that. So, uh, so please don't hesitate to reach out if any of this resonated with you. If you want to have a further conversation with with myself and Jay around your business, um, around uh, your building your why and your values and and aligning what you do every day with that, we would love to be of help and service to you. So. Um, signing off for now and uh, wishing you all the best in your journey. Thank you for joining us for the Yeg Hustle podcast. We hope that this brought value to you and how you run your business. You can find out more about us, including our free webinars and paid coaching options through our Instagram at the Yeg Hustle. And you can follow the link through the bio there.